Good morning. Happy Canada Day. Isn't it amazing to see people stand who weren't born here in Canada? Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, we're starting a new theme that's running over the summer. It's called Go With the Gospel. And we have the privilege of being the first ones to speak on this topic, uh, which is kind of nice. That's kind of good because then we can do whatever we want and everybody else can't do what we do. Right. <laughs> right? So we took all the good scriptures. No, they're all good, right? They're all good. They're, they're all, good. all good, right. Um, and our title is, And Whatever You Do. See, that might seem odd to you to have that kind of a title for the gospel, and whatever you do. That's Colossians 3.17. Who speaks Spanish here? Y todo lo que hagan en palabra o obra, háganlo en el nombre de Jesús, dando gracias al Padre por medio de Él. Whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God through Him. Isn't that a wonderful scripture? See, most of us know that the, the word gospel means the good news, right? The good news is that while we were sinners, we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? Romans 5.8. We know that we are all sinners, Romans 3.23, and that includes everyone on this planet. So even though I've been saved for a lot of years... I still was a sinner, right? And you know what? There's times when I actually still sin now. Very rarely. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but we know that God has rescued us, right? We know that what we really deserve is separation from God. The Bible says death. But we know that God has rescued us, and we have eternity to spend with him. Let's pray. Father, God, would you open our eyes to see these things that you have for us, to hear what you want us to hear today? Would you help us, God, to walk in the purposes that you have called us to? Would we see the gospel, the good news, in a real way today that will change us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, See, in Colossians 3, it talks about, just before this passage that we read, 17, it talks about the old man and the new man. The old man is who you were before Christ came into your life. Who remembers when you were an old man? I mean, I'm old, but I remember when I was the old man. Very clearly, I remember that. And it says to take off the things of the old man. You know, kind of like when you take off clothing. You take off lying. You take off blasphemy. You take off anger. You take off filthy language. You take off all of those things. But then, you don't just take those things off. It says you put on. So because of Jesus... We can put on the things of righteousness. We can put on tender mercy. We can put on 
forgiveness. We can put on patience and meekness and all of the things that the Holy Spirit brings with him, we get to put on. We get to choose whether or not we're going to put these things on or not. And so then he says, after all of those things, he says, so whatever you do, in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through him. So this morning we'd like to present a way of looking at the gospel that may be a little bit different. Jan and I are teachers. We've taught for a number of years, and so we bring out our old teaching style. And, uh, of course, the good news is still, the gospel is still the good news, but we want to look at it in a little different way. We're going to use an acrostic, and that's a big word, but I'm not going to tell you what it means because you will see that if you don't know. The gospel is God's gift of grace. God's gift of grace. See, God has been gracious to us. Often we hear people say, well, that's not fair. I spent 30 years in the school system. Two-thirds of that in a public school, one-third in the Christian school, most of that time as a school principal. Do you know how often I've heard from a student, well, that's not fair. Mr. Taylor, that's not fair. I developed a phrase that I would respond with, and that is, life is not fair. Get over it. And you know, aren't you glad that life is not fair? You know what? I did not get what I deserved. I deserved wrath. I deserved God's anger. I deserved God's separation. You know, even as a little child, now, my family will tell you that I'm the odd one in the family. I'm the black sheep of the family. And even at a young age, I knew I was a sinner. Nobody else in my family is in faith. Or wasn't at that time. But I always knew I was a sinner. And I kind of felt like Paul. He said, you know, that which I want to do, I don't do. I can't do. And that which I don't want to do, I do do. Wretched man that I am. Who can save me from this? And I went through my teen years saying, wretched woman that I am. Wretched young person that I am. Who can save me from this? Because I knew I was a sinner, but I couldn't stop sinning. But... God brought people into my life that were intentional in how they would speak to me. I was teaching a little private music school, and all of these ladies, the moms of these children, they were, they were of Mennonite background, and they loved the Lord. And you know what? They loved me. And they conspired against me. So they said, they said, every day we will pray for her until she accepts Jesus Christ. Guess what happened? I accepted Jesus Christ. And I was already in my 20s. And God just took my life and he turned it around with that gracious gift of the gospel. Because the gospel isn't just, it isn't a set of rules or laws or legalistic things. The gospel is the good news about Jesus. It's Jesus who does all of that. It's a gift. I didn't earn it. It's a gift. 
See, as, as missionaries, we've traveled in a lot of places, we've talked to a lot of people, and what we find in general is people know that they are sinners. You don't have to beat them over the head about that. Most people that we run into in all kinds of cultures know that, that something's wrong, that they're not right. Even if Jesus is not their Lord and Savior. See, they, they have that space in them, don't they? Where they need to fill it with Jesus. And nothing else will do the trick. Nothing else works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace we have been saved through faith, and this is not our own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, we need to say, this gift is from God. It's not what we do. We cannot earn it. It's a gracious gift of God. See, many of us have been raised in Greek thinking. Did you know that? That most education is Greek. I mean, unless you've been raised in a school like the King's School and many schools like that, you're raised to be a Greek thinker. And Greek thinkers put everything into compartments. Hebrew thinkers don't do that. So Greek thinkers say, okay, I'm this way for my soul, I'm this way for my spirit, I'm this way for my physical self. And that none of those things connect. So they put them into compartments. But God does not want us to put things into compartments. That's why sometimes, some of you, me sometimes, I can come to an assembly of of the saints and I can hear the word and I can read my Bible and I can walk out that door and I can totally forget what it was that God was trying to speak to my heart and wanted me to walk in that, in whatever I did, in word or deed. That's what he wants us to do. We are here to encourage each other to walk in the gospel, to walk in the word, to not just be hearers, but to be doers as well as what James says. So now you're getting the idea. G in the gospel is God's grace, God's gift. What comes next? Oh, good. (laughs) The opportunity to obey. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, is known as the Great Commission. Missionary people use it a lot. It says, And Jesus came to him and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Some instructions there for us, you missionary people, right? Now, these are instructions for all of us. Go. That's an imperative. He's not saying you're invited to go. He's saying go. As you go is what the actual text says. So go as you go. What are you to do? Make disciples. 
make disciples. How do you make disciples? Baptizing them and teaching them. What are you teaching them? To obey. Obey what? Everything that Jesus has taught us. See? The gospel is our opportunity to obey. To say, I'm going to obey what Jesus has taught. I'm going to follow what Jesus is saying. I'm going to incorporate that into my day-to-day life. I'm not going to compartmentalize, even though I've been raised in Greek thinking. I want to think like the Hebrew, where when the Hebrew says you or me or self, they're talking about all of us. The Greeks would say your spirit, right, your soul, and your body. They break it into three parts. A Hebrew doesn't do that. The Hebrew thinker thinks of it as one piece, and what happens in one part affects the others. See, we see a lot of people today, and especially because we do a lot of work with young people, who have compartmentalized their lives. They see no connection between their spiritual life and their daily walk, their physical life, their emotional life. They see that as all separate. And so we talk to young people who attend youth group regularly, who go off on mission trips to do that. But the next day, they're in youth Friday night, Saturday, where are they and what are they doing? They're out with their friends, they're partying, they're whatever young people do. There's no connection between the two. See, there has to be a connection in how we live in our workplaces. There has to be a connection in how we are in our marriages. There has to be a connection with the gospel in how we are with our neighbors, how we are with our, our people who are friends and people who are not friends. There has to be a connection with what we hear and what we take in and how we share that. You know, we lived in a, a place called Cofradia. I don't know how many people have been to Cofradia. Lots of people have been to Mexico with us. But we lived in this little village. And we, our language, our Spanish wasn't so good then. And so... There, like, there is kind of a distrust sometimes when white people come in. Joyce has been to Cofredia, right? When white people come in and, 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 and they get nervous, especially those of us from Canada and the United States, we're taking pictures of their houses. We're taking pictures of their children. They get like, wouldn't you get nervous if somebody came to your house and did that? Anyways, they get kind of nervous. And so we said, how can we get past the gate? Everybody had a gate around their house. And you'd stand at the gate and you'd tap on the gate with your keys or whatever. And you'd yell, hola, hola, hola. So how could we get in? Well, God gave us a strategy. Nobody there has ovens. They don't even have stoves, most of them. They, they might have now, but 18 years ago, they didn't have. They this have is like, known as the muffin strategy. This is the muffin strategy, yeah. You, you can't copy the strategy, but I would bake muffins. Because I love to bake, and I bake all kinds of muffins, and they're, they're fairly inexpensive to make. And I would take muffins 
And it got so that after a few years, people would yell at me when I was in the street. And, and by the way, they would often call us Duke, that's him, Ejan, and Jan. All together. All together. We're so Dougie Jan. If I was by myself, if I was by myself in the street, it would be, hola, Dougie Jan. <laughs> like, okay. And if I was there alone, they'd go, hola, Dougie Jan. <laughs> yeah. Because they usually have two names, so that's, they thought those were the two names. So anyways, I would take muffins, and in the street, I, I, I soon got, so I had to put them in a bag that, that people couldn't figure out what they were, because people would yell in the street, Doogie Chan, me gusta muffins mucho. I like muffins a lot, is what they were saying. And so there's a picture of some of the muffins. That would be just maybe two days' worth of baking, and I would take a small plateful, and I would say, you know, they would say, why are you bringing these to me? And I would say, you know, I just want to talk to you about how much God loves you and how, what his purpose is for you. And they would invite me in. And, and I mean, that was the strategy that God gave us. And, and I, I didn't have any big theological things to share with them. I could hardly read the Bible in Spanish at that point, but I did know the Roman road. And so I would turn to my, because they didn't have Bibles usually, and I would just show them in my Bible what it said in Romans, and that God loved them, and there was a way that they could get rid of their sin, and it was called the gospel. It was called the good news of Jesus. And I, I just cannot tell you how many people accepted Jesus. I had a lady that I prayed for almost the first week I was there. She accepted Jesus. She destroyed all the statues she had. She threw away all the candles she had, and God healed her at that very moment. She had that inner ear thing, that sound that goes all the time, and God healed her. And she, she was like one of my closest friends for years, and she just passed away last year. And I know that she's with Jesus. Mm, amen. Yeah. See, you, we just need to be people to obey the calling that Jesus puts on our lives. And the people he calls us to. Doesn't matter whether it's in Kofridia. Doesn't matter where he's calling you. It might be in your school. It might be in your neighborhood. It might be at work. It really doesn't matter. The muffin strategy is still going on in the Taylor household. Every Christmas, Jan puts together some form of baking and we deliver it to our neighborhood. 11 homes in the little block we live in. And people say, well, this is wonderful. Why do you do that? And we can share the love of Jesus. S. The gospel brings us security and satisfaction. I don't know whether you've noticed that in our culture in particular, there's a lot of discontent. People don't seem to be satisfied with what they have. They're always trying to accumulate more or look further down the road or get something better than somebody else has. Is that just me or is it noticeable? See, we begin to put our satisfaction and therefore our security in what we can do, what we can accomplish, what we can gather, what we can collect to ourselves. Philippians 4, 11 
says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And then verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, when we are satisfied in Jesus, when he is all that we need, when we see him as being everything we need, then we're secure. When we are secure, we are satisfied. So all of the working that we do to try to gain security, I, I was, am still a bit of a security freak. For many years, I worked in a job where every month I got a paycheck. I knew exactly how much it was going to be, and I knew when it was going to come, and I knew when it was going to get an increase, and how much that increase was going to be. And then I went on the mission field. I had absolutely no security. I, that was a big struggle for me, to go to people and say, would you please support me? <laughs> I don't have any money, but God's calling me to Mexico. See, my security, though, was in a job, was in a paycheck. When I put that aside and learned to put my security in Jesus, then I became satisfied in Jesus and when I was satisfied in Jesus, I was secure. This is really an odd thing to say, and, and if any of you are wanting to support us, please do that. <laughs> I don't worry about money anymore. I really don't. Do I? No, doesn't worry about it. Which is a good thing. I'll tell you, in, in the year 2005, Doug got extremely sick. And he had to have emergency surgery in, in Guadalajara in Mexico. Thankfully, we had a really good doctor there who was a gastrointestinologist. And um, I'll just be quick. He had a leaking intestine. And there was infection everywhere. And so we had to have it done right away. The doctor had said to us, mm, about a five-hour surgery. Because they were going to try to take a section of the intestine out and hook it back up again so he didn't have to have a bag you know, a colostomy. So we were in this hospital, and in Mexico, you never leave a loved one in the hospital alone. People from Latin America, you understand that, right? So there would be a little bed, there was a little bed at the end of his bed, that was for me. And, and because the nurses wouldn't come in and check on him unless I would come and get them. So he went into surgery, and the hours started to tick by. He was in surgery for over 12 hours. This doctor and these team of people, this team of people were trying to save his intestine. And I was at peace. Like, can you believe that? Like, I was at peace. I had my Spanish Bible on his bed and my English Bible on my bed. And I would walk around this little rotunda thing and and I, I really, you know what? When you're desperate for God, you don't care what other people think. You really don't. And I walked around that rotunda maybe five times every hour. 
and I prayed, and I sang Amazing Grace. I sang all kinds of things, and of course, they didn't understand it because nobody else spoke English, but I walked around and around. I praised. I went into the bedrooms. I would lay on the Spanish Bible. I would lay on the English Bible. I would say, God, infuse me with your word of confidence. Mm-hmm. Because your circumstances will change. That's kind of a guarantee in this life. Your circumstances will change. But Jesus never changes. And when he is your satisfaction, when he is your satis- your security, you can be strong. And these nurses, this is what happened afterwards. And Doug actually had to have two surgeries and then another one six months later. And Ron and Mary saw him and, you know... He didn't look so good, right? What? <laughs> well, he didn't look so good for being sick. But anyways, oh. anyway, so, so, you know, the nurses came up to me afterwards. A, a, a crew of them came up to me and they said, kind of in Spanish, I can't tell you in Spanish, but they said kind of like, what's the deal? Like, how could you be the way you were? Like, we didn't see you crying. We didn't see you unhappy. We saw you walking around. Were you praying? Yeah, I was praying. We saw you laying on your your Bible. We saw you walking with your Bible. Why did you do that? And I said, well, you know what? He, this guy, he's not my security. He's precious to me. Well, I mean, wouldn't you agree he's precious? Yes. But he's... (laughs) But, but... But not secure. (laughs) But he's not my security because my kids don't like when I say this, but I always say, I used to say, if you die, and he goes, what do you mean if? I'm going to die. Unless Jesus comes back, I'm going to die. But if he goes first, will I be okay? I will be because Jesus is not only my satisfaction, he is my security, my security and my satisfaction. And that's what the gospel brings us. God's gracious gift, the opportunity to obey, and the security and satisfaction that comes with Jesus. The gospel also brings us the power of God's presence. See, it's, this is not really about us. One of our main prayers daily is more of you, God, less of us. Más de ti, Señor, menos de nosotros. See, if God's presence, the Holy Spirit, is not with us, not only is there no peace, there's no power. Often we seek the power. We see people seeking the power. When God's presence is with us, the power is there. And so we began our days very often now by saying, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Come. Direct our path today. Guide our way today. Tell us what we need to see. Help us to see what you put in front of us. Because the power that comes with the presence of the Holy Spirit is something that is very tangible. You know when the presence of God is there. Many people walk in here on a Sunday morning and they just go, ooh, what is that? Come to the prayer meeting, 9.30 on a Sunday morning. 
and you'll feel the presence of God. And you know that when the presence of God is there, the power of the Holy Spirit will flow. Just the week before we left, um, I was asked to do a men's meeting in our church. And they were having a ladies' meeting on the Saturday morning, and that was a big event because they were expecting 120 women to come. And they had asked Jan to speak. And so someone said, well, shouldn't we have a men's meeting too and get Doug to speak? And they said, oh, yeah, let's do that. So when I said, okay, where is this going to be? They said, well, we're going to be down the road in a little classroom that one of our congregation uh, rents as a place where he teaches music. And I said, okay, how many are we expecting? And they said, well, we normally get eight, ten, maybe twelve at a men's meeting. Okay, I just, I want to be prepared, right? So I, I did my preparations, went into this little room, and uh, there was tables set up because it was a music school. And so they had tables set up, and I'm looking and going, okay, yeah, we can get 8, 10, 12 in here. And then I went out and got talking to somebody else. I came back in, and the place was packed with about 40 men in there. And I looked around, and I realized that there was a group of young men that I mentor were there, not from the church. Then there was another group of men that I mentor from the church. They were there. And then there was a people that I knew from the church, men from the church, and then there were some strangers I didn't know. Two of the young men that I mentor invited their neighbors to come. They'd invited them to come to church a number of times. They weren't interested. But they told them that I was speaking. You know, I don't know what that you know, The white guy's talking, so that'll be a good for a laugh, right? So anyway, they came. Um, I started my message, and I don't know what happened, but I just went right off the message completely. Like it was one of those situations where I was standing in front, but actually I think I was over here looking down and listening to this guy talk because I did not prepare that stuff that was coming out of my mouth. It was the Holy Spirit. At the end of the message, at the end of my speaking, I did what I normally do, what we normally do, offered an opportunity to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. The one guy sitting with one of the young guys that I met, the neighbor that he invited, put up his hand and said, I'd like to do that gave his life to the Lord. Why? Because I'm such a great speaker? No. Because the power was there because the presence of God was in that room. Perfectly clear to me. And the next day, his wife gave her life to the Lord. And she too would never come to church, but she came to hear me. And God moved powerfully. And that family now has been facing cancer. But they're knit into the church. Yeah. And so God is 
in his graciousness, is walking alongside of them and changing them. Now, the gospel is God's gift of grace. It's the opportunity to obey. It's our security and our satisfaction. It is the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, and it is for everyone. Can you say that? It's for everyone. It is for everyone. You know, we we have our likes and our dislikes, right? I mean, you met Ramona, Elise, right? My neighbor. Got a neighbor. Oh, she's wonderful. She comes to all the ladies' meetings with me, and she's accepted Jesus. Every time the King's School comes, she buys them candies that are spicy and all kinds of different things. Just because, just, she's just a really wonderful neighbor. She's easy to talk to. Now, we have some other people on the street. I think we might have spoken about them before. And he has those big, big monster trucks. Is that what you call them? With the big, big wheels that are taller than me. And they make a lot of noise. And they have no mufflers. And he goes down the street. Well, it's louder than that. And he has dogs. And the dogs, if a feather goes down the street, they bark. If a bird goes down the street, they bark. If the wind rustles, they bark. And, so they, and they bark 24-7, 24-7. If one stops, the other one will start. And they have two little, they have four dogs in total, I think. But, but he's not so easy. He's not so easy. But you know what? God has said, you go to him. So Doug goes to him. He's <laughs> not so easy. Yeah. I'm not going to go to him. But Doug goes to him. And we bake for them. And oh, well, he doesn't bake for them. I bake for them. I send I it over to Doug. Over. He carries it over. And you know what? Like, we have built a relationship with them. They invite us for Christmas. They invite us for the, the Day of the Kings. They invite us for tamales because they see in us something different. And when, when we would leave for, to come back here, our friend said to us from the neighborhood, Ramona, she said, I hate it when you leave. I went, why? I mean, there's lots of, there's other Christians on the street. She said, when you leave, it's like the light leaves the neighborhood. Hmm. That's a pretty awesome thing. It's not who we are, it's who we carry. Because the light isn't us, the light is Jesus. See, the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone, right? Sometimes we have become soil inspectors instead of seed sowers. Sometimes we're so concerned about our reputation, how we look, that we check out. You know, we, we know Matthew's 13 parable of the sower. And we know what that's all about. It's about the soil. And stuff and stuff grows and some doesn't. And that's my problem. That's our problem. We have become soil inspectors. So we have the seed here, but we're very stingy with it. We've got to check it out and say, now where's it going to grow? Oh, well, there's John Micklefield. I'm sure it'll grow there, so there's a seed for John. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to sow seed. In Jesus' time, they didn't have all this equipment that planted it. A man went out with a sack, and in his sack he had the seed, and he scattered it. He didn't worry where it went. So he just came along and he scattered seed. 
He didn't evaluate where it went. He just scattered it. You're going to have to help me and pick that stuff up after. <laughs> Otherwise, they'll never let me. No, I don't want them back. And, and you know what? The gospel, the gospel, the word of God, the gospel is sweeter than any candy. Candy is only going to be in your mouth for a second, maybe on your hips for a longer time. I don't know. But it's going to be in your mouth for a second. The gospel will change you for a lifetime. It'll change you for a lifetime. You know, in, in the story of Alice in Wonderland, Alice asks the rabbit, how long is forever? And the rabbit says, you, you know what? It can be only a second. When my life ends, my life doesn't end. That's not the last page in my book. The pages keep turning because I'm going to be in eternity. But sometimes we think that our time here is forever and ever and ever. And we, we don't take the opportunities to sow. And God wants us to sow unsparingly, to sow abundantly wherever we go. And the gospel, the last letter is L. It is the love of God. And, and Ron shared that a couple of weeks ago. It's the love of God shed abroad in our hearts, right? It's the love of God that overflows so that we want to bring God's gift of grace to others. It's the love of God that spurs us on to take every opportunity to obey. It's the love of God that leads us to be secure and satisfied in who he is and who he says we are. And it's the love of God for us in the presence of the Holy Spirit that empowers us and brings us his peace. And it's the love of God that directs where we sow. And it's the love of God that fills our hearts to love others it's the love of God that brings the gospel into our daily life so that whatever we do, whether in, in word or deed, deed, we do it all in, in the name, name of the Lord, Lord Jesus, Jesus, giving, giving thanks, thanks to God, God through Father, him. through him. Thank you. First John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. The gospel, the good news is for everyone and we're called to be the delivery boys to bring it wherever we go and in everything we do